a lot of people have an idea for a podcast, but they don't go into it with long-term thinking. So in about mid-2021, Apple reported that they have just over 2 million podcasts. But if you start to break it down more, there's a study from this company, Amplify Media, that shows that of that 2 million, 44% have three episodes or fewer. We became entrepreneurs because more than anything, we want freedom. We want to be in control of our own schedule, income, and life. But unfortunately, that isn't always the reality of being a business owner. I'm Gillian Perkins, and I'm on a mission to take back entrepreneurship for what it's supposed to be. In every episode, I'll share with you how to get the most out of every hour you work so that you can work less and earn more. Let's get to it. Hey there, Melissa, and welcome to the show. To start out, can you tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yes, I got into the online business space years ago, first behind the scenes. So I was working for Ramit Sethi and helping him with his large business, I Will Teach You To Be Rich. He's a New York Times bestseller. And that really opened my eyes to the possibility of having an online business and what it really looked like to sell online courses. And from there, I was hooked. I had been teaching in-person classes at General Assembly about all my nerdy favorite things to do, like Excel and data analytics. And kind of working for Ramit's company, I ended up getting an offer to join Teachable. And I worked there for four years. And that just furthered my passion for helping diverse creators start their own online businesses. I think when people hear that term, they don't realize what you can do online and how much value your own knowledge has, like how people would be willing to pay you to teach them how to watercolor paint or raise goats or fly drones or whatever that thing is that you do. So after working at Teachable for a while, I had always known I wanted to start my own business. So two years ago, I founded Wit & Wire and I knew I wanted to serve women with online businesses. And I felt like podcasting was a great topic to start because at the time it felt like this giant tech mystery. I think it intimidated a lot of people to get into the tech and to literally put their voice out there. And I still think that that's one of the biggest things that holds people back. But since I've loved to teach and I like simplifying very techy stuff, it just felt like a natural fit. So the business grew and now I have a few different online programs and a couple thousand students, mostly women who I help with their podcasts and just been, I think, a real adventure getting to help so many people and learn about their topics from interspecies communication to marketing to motherhood. So I really enjoy what I do. I feel really lucky to be able to now run my own business full time. It sounds like it's been quite a journey and like you've clearly learned a lot along the way. So now you're helping women primarily launch their podcasts and grow their podcasts as well, I believe. So can you tell me a little bit about why you believe that starting a podcast and growing a podcast is an important or a significant thing that people should perhaps consider doing? I think there are two camps of people. There are people who are entrepreneurs who have a little bit of an audience, and I can talk about why a podcast could be a fit for them. But then I think a lot of other aspiring entrepreneurs, they're just getting started in the online space or they're just starting to explore. And for that group, I think a podcast can be great for a few reasons. First of all, I know you're big into validating topics and seeing what people respond to. And I think a podcast can be a great playground for that. And especially if you're starting in anonymity, you don't have a huge audience. I actually think that's a big opportunity because nobody's looking. You have the freedom to try different things, try different formats, see what topics you enjoy talking about, and just getting yourself out onto the internet and being consistent, I think is a really good practice to build up. And then as a side benefit, 
You'll get to meet so many people, whether it's connecting with listeners or especially connecting with guests on my podcast. I've built so many real friendships and partnerships from the people who I've gotten to meet through podcasting. And so I feel like that's been really unique and helpful as I've built up my business. And then on the other hand, if you already have even a small audience, you have maybe a course or some services for sale, podcasting is a way to build trust with people. There are very few mediums where people are willing to tune in and listen to you for 15, 20, even an hour long. That's a long amount of time for them to commit to hearing what you have to say. And so the level of trust that you can build with podcast listeners, I think, is really special and unique. So for anybody who has their own products and services, I think adding a podcast to your current efforts is a great way to deepen those relationships. I love how you said the practice of being consistent. I found that I really saw that benefit when I first started my YouTube channel, especially prior to that, I'd just been dabbling in so many things. And the the personal practice of being consistent and putting out a video every week did huge things for my personal growth and my ability to grow my business. So I can see how podcasting could do that for a lot of people. I'm curious to know whether you think that everyone should start a podcast or if perhaps at certain stages of business, it's the right choice, but at other stages of business, it's not. I think it really depends on your own personality as much as it depends on your marketing style. I think a big conception with podcasting is that there's an algorithm that you're trying to kind of beat in a way because people talk about that with social media, even with YouTube, there's this algorithm. But with podcasting, that's not the case. It's much more similar to blogging where you have your space online and you need to think like a blogger or a business owner to imagine how you can grow your audience, which I'm sure that we'll talk about. But because of that, you really have to enjoy the topic. I think you have to enjoy the process of creating. So if you are not the kind of person who enjoys either chatting with somebody else or having a co-host or even just kind of teaching, either entertaining or educating, I don't think a podcast is for everyone. And it is definitely a bit of work. Just as YouTube is a bit of work, just as blogging is a bit of work, I would say podcasting adds in a little bit more tech than, say, a pure blog post. But in some ways, you maybe could argue it's simpler than YouTube because it's audio only, not video. But I think it's very much a, a personal preference. But I do think anybody could start a podcast. There's not like a secret talent that you have to have. I don't believe there's such a thing as having a podcast voice or any of those things. So I think mm -hmm. anybody could. But I definitely think people should know that you can't just kind of launch one overnight. There's a lot of strategy, strategy that goes into it. And I think you have to be willing to be in it for the long run. You don't have to say, oh, I'm going to do this podcast forever. It's never going to change. I think we all naturally evolve in our preferences and what we're interested in over time. But I think if you can't even imagine doing it for a year or if that thought scares you, then a podcast might be, not be the right strategy. But I, I do think anybody could try. It's not a search engine, though. I think that's important to know. So clearly, there are a lot of things to consider. It seems like the main things are your personality and then how it fits per into perhaps like your business strategy. But as you said, you need to be in it for the long run. I, although I believe, if I recall correctly, your podcast runs in seasons. Mm -hmm. Is that right? It does. Okay. So I think there's a fear about podcasting where if you stop, let's say you're doing a weekly podcast, if you don't release new episodes every week, there's this fear that you'll lose your audience. And I have done this with my show, with some clients who have you know, multi-million downloads for their podcasts as well. And of course, in the off season, you won't be getting downloads because you aren't releasing content. I should say you won't be getting as many. People will continue to find your show. But 
people will return. That's the point of asking them to subscribe. I think if you imagine the way that TV shows operate, they release the new season of Survivor in the fall and there's anticipation and there's buildup to it. And I think with podcasting, it's similar, where it's not just about taking a sanity break, although I'm definitely here for that. I also think there's something to the marketing side of things where if you end a season, that's an event. If you launch a new season, that's also something that you can build up a little bit of excitement about or even give yourself the chance to reflect on what you might want to do differently in the future. So I don't think you have to do a year-long podcast at all. I think that's a huge misconception. I don't even think you have to do weekly. I think you can really make it your own. But I think the exercise of could I see myself doing this for Mm -hmm. a year I think is just helpful to say, do I see myself in this for the long run? And I will just add one more thing, which is podcasting, blogging, and YouTube, I see as similar in that it's putting out content. You're sharing something that people can hopefully have a takeaway from. And then the world of social media, to me, is very different. It's much shorter. It's much faster to consume, and people skim past it so quickly. So if you're wondering, should I start a podcast, I would say, I wouldn't ever encourage anybody to start a podcast, YouTube, and or a blog at once. I would definitely pick one of those (laughs) things and commit to maybe a few months to see if you like it. And then if you don't, it's okay to change your mind too. You can always try something else later. Sounds like what I always recommend as well. So I'm curious if you know if running a podcast in seasons has any adverse effect on how you rank in the charts on, say, Apple Podcasts. Charting is interesting because it's very similar to the way that book charts work. So if you imagine somebody who has said that they've been a New York Times bestseller, they were number one on the list, they may have only been at that point for one week, but they can say they were number one indefinitely. They can use that in their marketing content. And so podcast charts are very similar, where it's a little bit strategic, not only when you chart, but which category you choose. But if you chart, let's say you launch and you've maybe had a little bit of an audience beforehand, I would say you're not just starting from scratch, you might be surprised that you could hit the top 200 charts in your category much faster than you think. For other hosts, it might take a little bit. Maybe you build up an audience. But I would say the most important part about charting is actually choosing a strategic category, which we can get into if that's helpful. Sure. How about we talk about that? So in Apple, there are parent categories and there are subcategories, which most people don't realize. So for example, business is a parent category, but entrepreneurship or careers are subcategories. And for almost all hosts, you're going to be best served if you choose the smallest subcategory where your podcast still makes sense. Again, it's very similar to the book charts concept, Mm -hmm. but most of the shows that I've been either the host or the primary producer for, have hit the top 200, if not the top 50. So for example, Witten Wire's podcast, I think people would be surprised to hear I get, I don't know, roughly six or 700 downloads per episode right now. It's not as huge as I think some people would guess, but I've still earned thousands of dollars through the podcast. And I was a top 10 podcast in how-to, an education category, because I strategically knew which category to choose. It's still listed in entrepreneurship. But now I have that badge where I can say I'm a top 10 podcast. And I think... There's, I don't know, it seems a little internet shysty, some of these strategies where it's very much about knowing how to play the game, but everyone else knows how to play, so I want everyone to know that they should play too. It's not like you're lying and saying you're in swimming, the least popular category of all podcasts. (laughs) 
That's hilarious. Okay, you're right. It is so similar to the book charts. Um, I know when I launched my book several years back, um, I strategically chose a small category so that I could chart in that category. So that makes perfect sense. And, you know, we did the same thing with this podcast. We didn't choose like something really obscure like swimming, right? But we chose a specific sub-niche of that business category. And I think we ended up showing up at the very bottom of the business, the broad business category at one point. But we were able to hang out near the top of one of those smaller categories. I think in my case, it was entrepreneurship. I'm curious what you think, how much uh, impact it has to chart in one of those smaller categories. Is it really about kind of the clout of being able to say like, oh, I was, you know, a, a charting podcast, or is there some big benefit to it? I think this is a great question because hitting the charts and also hitting this kind of now mythical new and noteworthy section in Apple Podcasts mm -hmm. are two things that a lot of hosts still believe are strategically sound moves. But the truth is that Apple has evolved a lot. So in, let's say, even 2015, 2016, it made a difference if you hit the charts or if you were featured in New and Noteworthy because that was the first thing that people saw when they logged into the app. And there were all these rules. And there are still, frankly, a lot of outdated blog posts out there that talk about this strategy as being a good idea. But now I've talked with a lot of different hosts across many genres, and they all have said the same thing, which is that hitting the charts has not done anything for their download count. Download is anybody who streams any episode for at least 60 seconds. So I think it's important to see hitting the charts as a sign of growth, not something that will cause more growth. Because if you think about how any of us find podcasts, I certainly don't go to a chart and then see what's going on in Apple. I usually find somebody on the internet, I find that they have a podcast and then I tune in. So that discoverability is not really a component of Apple or Spotify really. It's, I think, best used as a marketing badge of honor. Definitely put it on your website. Definitely thank listeners. If you do hit the charts, you should tell people about it because it's a huge accomplishment, but I don't think it'll help boost your numbers, if that makes sense. Sure. So if charting doesn't help boost your numbers, can you tell us about a few strategies that do? Definitely. One of the top strategies that I've used to build my podcast as a business owner is promoting the business and then the podcast instead of only the podcast directly. So I want to talk about that. And then I want to differentiate between owned media and earned media, because I think these are the two mm -hmm. biggest misconceptions I see with new hosts when it comes to growth. So I have a full business. I sell online courses as my primary revenue stream. And when I'm doing any of the standard kind of online business building activities, like building my email list or driving people to free webinars or different blog posts on my site or podcast episodes even... When somebody finds me first, it's not typically the podcast. It might be, let's say, a checklist or something that they've downloaded. And so then what I'll do on a landing page or in the welcome sequence of my email list is I'll talk about my podcast. And then I'll tell people that it's there and I'll direct them to some of my most popular episodes of all time. And I think that that's helped me grow significantly because when people find the podcast, I think that that's great. They do start to build a relationship with you there. But if you're doing any of the other online marketing strategies, like for example, Pinterest for me is one of my top sources of organic growth. If they're coming into my random blog post on let's say podcast cover art, they might not know I have a podcast yet. So if I capture the email address and I focus on a lot of those foundational kind of strategies, then what I think most hosts forget to do is mention the podcast ever. It's almost like they've got two separate parts of their business, people who have found the podcast and people who don't even know that it's happening. So I would definitely encourage people to put your favorite episodes in the welcome sequence, 
bring back episodes from a few months ago and include them when you're emailing your list if something is topical. That's one of the big benefits of podcasting is that episodes, for the most part, are evergreen. They'll last a long time. So I think we should all be using them more. So that's a big one. I would say the bigger mistake that I would see a lot of hosts making, and I'm sure this is true for business owners, not just podcasters, is that they only focus on owned media and not earned media. So owned media are any of the channels where you create content, your podcast, your YouTube channel, your socials, your website, your email list. These are all places that you control what you're saying. You create the post, you create the video. But that's where most people spend their time. They come to me and they ask me, Melissa, how can I perfect my Instagram strategy? How can I build up my audience on Instagram? And although there are some growth hacks, I've found that for the most part, the people who have you as a primary part of their Instagram day already knew about you. They discovered you somewhere else, like they found the podcast first or they found your opt-in first. Now they're on Instagram. So that's the bubble of, I think, a limited audience. Instead, most people need to focus more on earned media. So that's going out and being a podcast guest. It's being a blog post featured uh, guest post writer. That's what I'm looking for. Speaking in a summit, talking to people in person. I think the more you can collaborate with other people and put yourself in front of their audience, the more you'll find that you can bring people back to your podcast. And I would say, especially for podcasters, it benefits us to go on other shows because then you're in front of podcast listeners, as obvious as it sounds. So you already know that somebody tuning in right now is a podcast listener. So I think that they are more likely to then be interested in your own show too. So you need a mix of both owned and earned media in order to grow. I love that you're talking about this because I think you are so right that most people do just focus on owned media. So they just, you know, write a blog post every week or make a YouTube video every week or post on Instagram every day. And then they wonder why their different, why their audience isn't growing really. And I talk a lot about about collaborating, um, which is really what you're talking here with the earned media, right? Where you're working with other people, you're getting on other media channels, really, so that you can get in front of large groups of people that don't already know you exist. So yeah, I love that you're talking about that. So I think that, you know, a lot of people see the benefits of podcasting, but one of the top concerns is that the podcast marketplace is already saturated. Is that a valid concern? It's definitely a popular one, but I can debunk it with some numbers. So in about mid-2021, Apple reported that they have just over 2 million podcasts. But if you start to break it down more, there's a study from this company, Amplify Media, that shows that of that 2 million, 44% have three episodes or fewer. So you can really start to oh, see wow. that a lot of podcasts <laughs> are started, but then a lot of them, unfortunately, it's called pod fade. They don't last more than three to seven episodes because I think a lot of people have an idea for a podcast, but they don't go into it with long-term thinking. And earlier we talked about, you know, having enough topics to last a year or the interest. It's not even that you have to use all of those topics. It's just thinking long-term. Or another big mistake I see is that people rush to launch. They're so excited, but they haven't thought about the next week and the next episode. And so they haven't really set themselves up for a long-term kind of ongoing commitment to their podcast. But now we're at roughly, let's say, a million-ish podcasts that have more than three episodes. That number might be hard to contextualize. So I'll just pause for a second. If somebody's listening, you can imagine how many blogs you think there are. So there's one million podcasts. The answer is that there are 600 million blogs. And I don't know mm -hmm. how many YouTube channels. There are 6 million. It's, it's a similar number. It's huge, yeah, I'm it's sure. Like four mil 400 million, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. So these huge, huge numbers. And for some reason, people don't ask in the same way, like, should I 
start a YouTube channel? Is it too saturated? I think we all have the thought that, oh, somebody has taken our idea. I think that's a fear that holds people back. But when it comes to podcasting, it is a lot newer and smaller than most people realize, but it's buzzy. People are talking about podcasting. Mm -hmm. So because of that, I actually think now is the best ever time to launch a podcast. And I'm not just saying that because it's what I talk about in my business. I think the tech is more user-friendly. The microphones, the equipment that you can get, it's really affordable. You can just set it up at home. You don't need anything huge. And it's not yet so crowded that it's too late to enter. So if anybody is worried I would say competition validates demand instead of the opposite. If you see other people talking about your topic, that's a good sign. And the thing that will probably be unique about your show is not the topic itself. It's who you are. It's your perspective and your personality and your take on it. So I wouldn't worry too much about competition. I just think it's a great time to start a podcast. And I love that you pointed out how small the number of podcasts really is compared to the number of vlogs or the number of YouTube channels. And like you said, it's just buzzy. People are just excited about it. I remember when I started my podcast, what was now um, a bit over a year and a half ago, right when I started my podcast, two other big names in my industry also started the podcast. And so of course, a lot of people in my audience knew about those people, like they were following those people as well. And so several people said, uh, either like in the comments of various you know things I'd put out out or directly to me like, man, everyone's starting a podcast right now. <laughs> I was like, well, a, a couple more of us did, you know, but you know, we see almost everyone on Instagram and we don't think like, oh no, Instagram is too saturated, right? Exactly. You know, we see you know, we, there's room in the world for all of us. We can all have enough friends. We can all have enough conversations. And so the fact that there's a couple million podcasts out there, I don't really think is that big of a concern. Okay, let me take just a minute to tell you about something that has changed my life. YouTube. Seriously. Now, I'm sure you're probably aware that YouTubers can earn money, but you might not realize how much. It's not just pocket change. You can make a full-time living as a video creator. Make good money making fun videos? I know, sounds too good to be true. But four years ago, I started my own channel. And in less than six months, my husband and I quit our day jobs, sold our house, traveled to Europe for two months, and then came back and bought a new house. And that was all financed by, you guessed it, my YouTube channel. I know this sounds crazy, but I also know I'm not the only one. There are literally millions of people supporting themselves from YouTube. And they do it by making videos about every topic you could possibly think of. Cooking, cleaning, art, makeup, career advice, real estate, cats, books, and even just reacting to other YouTube videos. If you want to learn more about how this works and how you can get a piece of the action, then check out my free on-demand workshop called Three Secrets to Reach 1,000 Subscribers and Get Your Channel Monetized in Just Three Months. Because that's the truth. If you know how the platform works, you don't have to wait years for your channel to grow. You can start getting views from day one, be making money in as little as three months, and be on your way to making a living as a creator before you know it. Sign up now for this free on-demand YouTube training by heading to gillianperkins.com slash YouTube training. Again, that's gillianperkins.com slash YouTube training. And of course, you can find that link in the show notes as well. I can't wait to teach you how to start your own successful YouTube channel and start earning a living as a creator. 
You mentioned earlier on that when you're talking about earned media, that a great strategy for growing your podcast is being a guest on other people's podcasts, because not only are you reaching a large group of people, but you also are specifically reaching people who are podcast listeners, since they're hearing you on someone else's podcast. What are your best strategies and tips for becoming a guest on other people's podcasts? This is a great question because I think people are intimidated to pitch themselves as a guest and equally if you're a new host, intimidated to pitch people to be on your podcast. And I have found that cold outreach works way better than most people would guess. I have this theory, I call it the staircase theory when it comes to pitching guests for your show, but I think it applies to both. Where if you imagined a staircase kind of straight up where you're on you know, step one or two, and maybe the top is like Oprah or the Oprah of your industry, just an absolute huge name. You can't, of course, go zero to Oprah, but you can go a step or two above where you are because no matter how small your audience feels, people really want exposure to their ideal audience. So even if they can get in front of 50 or 100 perfect fit listeners for whatever their business is, whatever their book is about, they're going to be excited. So finding listeners for your own show is actually very easy as long as you're pitching kind of the right size and the right fit. But the reason I think it's important to talk about that when you go around and flip the table, now you're going to be a guest, is that when I get a great pitch as a host, it is a relief. Nothing is better than getting a perfect pitch in your inbox for somebody who has clearly listened to my show, who knows what would serve my audience, and who has a great concept. So Based on my experience of getting pitched all the time by, sadly, mostly very bad pitches, I can say that what stands out the most is just when somebody has obviously personalized the email and it's going directly to me and me only. And a tangible tip is that instead of pitching yourself, imagine pitching an episode concept. So when I'm doing cold outreach, I don't just say, I'm Melissa, I'm a podcast expert, I have course creation experience, do you want to have me on your podcast? It's hard for then the other person to think of the episode, because now really I'm asking them to do the work. So instead, maybe I'll find a podcast where their audience are online coaches or course creators. And then I'll pitch the concept of an episode of why course creators should consider using a podcast to sell their courses or how to funnel your podcast listeners into your coaching services. So pitch the concept and then just always remember that that other person is asking what's in it for me. So it's not really about you in the pitch. It is about the person on the other end. And my last tip is don't take no's or ghosting personally. I have had some people pitch me who are amazing, but I was out of season. It just wasn't the right timing. And so I wouldn't take the no's too hard. It's just a part of pitching. The more that you pitch, the more comfortable you'll get. So just as long as you personalize that pitch and you start to put it out there, I really think that anybody can be a great guest. But podcast hosts in particular are great because you get it. You have a microphone. You've spoken on the microphone before. In the right fit, you could do a swap where both of you maybe interview each other and then borrow a YouTube strategy. You can release them on the same day and see if then you can kind of build both of each other's audiences up. I just think that there's so much that you can do. And I would hope maybe this will give people some confidence to go pitch themselves, even if they feel unqualified. I promise you are more qualified than you think. Those are some great strategies. What do you think is the ideal number of times to follow up with someone who you're pitching? Yes, I tend to follow up a week later and then possibly a week after that, depending on how invested I am. But I like that you asked because following up is crucial. If I never followed up, I think I would be on half the number of shows that I've been on because people are so busy 
Imagine our own inboxes, right? Mine's a disaster. And sometimes you just need a nudge. And so I think as long as you're being really friendly about it and just saying, hey, I know you must get so many emails. I just wanted to follow up and see if there's an opportunity for me to join your show. Then people will not take that as being too pushy. I would say after two, I probably would give it a rest. But it's also not a never. If it's a dream podcast of yours, I would say even in a year, if you have a slightly different spin, I've heard of hosts who have pitched in this case, bigger shows. And sometimes it just takes a little bit of time. But for most follow-ups, I would say one week later. And then if you're pretty invested and interested, I would say one more after two weeks. You mentioned earlier about the bad pitches that you get. And I find that not only are so many pitches that I get just like copy and paste and yes, as you said, really bad, but also that people often have one or the other of the extreme wrong end of the spectrum when it comes to those follow-ups. Either they never follow up, so they just send me one email, or they follow up endlessly to where I'm like, how can I get rid of this person? How can I get this person to stop emailing me every other day because they'll email me 10 times in a row? So I like how you are uh, recommending a middle ground here where you're following up just once or twice. That seems comfortable and respectful. And at the same time, you're not you know, leaving something on the table where maybe if you just ask one more time, you're going to get the opportunity. Exactly. Treat this person like a human. If I had a friend and I asked them about something and I didn't hear, I'd follow up once or twice and then you would leave it be. Just, I think we sometimes forget people on the internet are still humans on the other end. So just be a kind person. I think that that pans out. Absolutely. That's a great way to think about it. I also just want to throw out one more kind of like thought or strategy here about becoming a guest on someone else's show. I'm um, just because I'm not sure when I'm going to do another episode about growing a podcast. And that is, you know, you're talking about reaching out with like emails that are written personally. I find that the emails that I say yes to the most, the guests who I say the yes to the most are the ones who are recommendations from other people who I already know. So if I've had perhaps a guest on my show and then they send me an email and they say, hey, by the way, I had this friend who I think would be a great fit. Or even the the company that produces my podcast, sometimes one of them, the people who work at that company will reach out to me and say like, hey, this person would be a great fit. Those are the people who I say yes to most of the time. And I don't think it's just because like, oh, that's an in. It's because I know that if you're recommending someone, it's not just your personal interest that you're thinking of. You like really actually think this person will be a good fit and you have a reason. Unlike all those people who are just sending me emails asking to be on the show, I don't really know quite what their motive is. I don't know if they would actually be a good fit or if they're just claiming they would be a good fit because they want to be on the show so much. Um, And so it's just a lot more trustworthy when someone else recommends you. So I think that if you want to be a guest on other people's show, it's a great strategy to ask in your network about if people you know know of any podcast you would be a good fit on and then ask for an introduction. I think that's a great tip. And even as you continue to interview guests, just after their episode goes live, when you thank them for joining, you can always ask them if they have a referral. I totally agree with you. And I think people are hearing us talk about all these pitches that we get. You will start getting those too. People who are the hosts are in the position where there's an abundance of people who want to be a guest and way fewer podcast hosts. So I think people will hit that point a lot sooner than they think where they'll be turning people away. So you do have to get kind of picky. And I agree with you. Just having a connection to somebody or the trust that somebody has recommended a guest to me moves them way up in my interest list because it is hard to know who's kind of going to suit your audience or who maybe is an expert but isn't the right fit for you. So you do have to do a little bit of research. 
Absolutely. I'm glad you pointed that out because this is not at all like a humble brag that we're talking about the people we're turning <laughs> away. As soon as you start having a podcast and you have even a handful of reviews on it, you will start to get people pitching you. And not only is just like that a fact of the matter, but I think it's also a really good indication of what we were talking about earlier about how podcasting really isn't saturated. There is, as you just mentioned, there are way more people who want to be guests on shows than there are hosts of shows. There just aren't really that many hosts hosts, even though like altogether, obviously it's a big number, but in any one industry, in any one niche, there's not that many. Um, and so this is just something that happens. And as Melissa said, it will start happening to you too, if you start a podcast. Exactly. So Melissa, what are some other concerns that podcasters face? We talked about, you know, maybe thinking that podcasting is a saturated industry, a saturated marketplace. And that's one of the main things that makes people stop and not start a podcast. But what are some other things that can cause some overwhelm? I think there's a real imposter syndrome in the world of podcasting. Something about putting yourself out there in a podcast and producing episodes, for some reason, both feels very permanent and very elite. As though, who am I to get out there? Especially, as we mentioned earlier, if you see bigger names in your space. And then I know this is something I struggle with. Sometimes I have the thought, oh gosh, like why am I going to do this? This other person is huge. She's already doing it. Who am I to throw my hat in the ring? And I think it prevents a lot of great hosts from starting, especially because recording and the tech is the second thing that feels intimidating. I'm sure, no surprise, the most common question I get is what microphone should I buy? And I think the struggle with that is, of course, yes, I recommend having a mic. You don't need a crazy expensive one, but yes, I do recommend buying a mic to start your show. But what takes people the longest to launch in all of my programs, what I continue to see, is the time it takes them to hit the record button. It's not that podcasting actually takes so long to get started, but I think there's this real almost catch your breath moment of, am I doing it right? Am I using this mic? Am I really going to say something? I'm not sure what I have to say. And I love this concept I learned from Ira Glass. He talks about the gap, where if you are an avid podcast listener, especially, you've heard good audio. You've heard what a good podcast sounds like. You have good taste. You know in your head what you want it to sound like. But there's a gap between what you like and what you know sounds good and your skill level because you're a beginner. And as a beginner, it is super uncomfortable. And that's the biggest thing is you have to get a little comfortable just in that moment of being a beginner, being uncomfortable at something, because your first episodes are not going to be your best. It's not because you don't have that like innate podcast talent. You're just new. People would never expect to go to their first, let's say, yoga class, having never done yoga before, and then be that person who gets up and do a handstand. But for some reason, we put that weight on ourselves with our podcast and probably with YouTube and blogging and any other means of putting ourselves out there. So I would say my best advice is to get a mic and hit record as soon as you can. It doesn't even have to be an episode that goes out. Just turn it on and imagine just talking, introduce yourself. For your first episode that you record, either choose a guest you're really comfortable with or a topic you're really comfortable talking about. It doesn't even have to be the first episode. It doesn't have to air at all. But I think knowing that it does not have to be perfect, that it will not be your best ever episode, and that you do not need to be some kind of hashtag influencer to be a podcast host should be reassuring. Who you are right now is enough. That is what people will connect with. So I think it's important for people to start podcasts who have a unique perspective, who have a unique point of view, and everybody has to start somewhere. So just hit record. You can dismiss it later. It's also not live, right? That's the other fear. Mm -hmm. You can edit. You can delete. 
you can start again. So give yourself a little kindness. And I think that that'll take you pretty far. Yeah, people definitely feel that way about YouTube too, where they, the, that just that gap between what they watch and what they see other people doing and then what they are able to create when they are a beginner, there is a huge gap there. Um, and so they can just feel like, oh, I just don't have what it takes when really the only thing they don't have is the practice under their belt. I love that you pointed out that editing is a thing that is huge, right? And that you can record and you don't have to publish. I don't think I've ever talked about this on the podcast before, but I actually tried to start a podcast, I think twice before I actually started this podcast, where I started recording some a few episodes and listened to them and was like, and just like couldn't get in the flow with it. And what really helped me was with the first few podcasts, I feel like I was trying to be just more like chatty and expecting it to just come to me. I think that when I listened to other podcasts, that was what I perceived was happening that, oh, you know, these people, they just have something to say. So they just start talking and it just like flows out of their mouth. And so I tried to do that. And it was like, huh, there's nothing there. <laughs> so what, what really changed that was to more like write a blog post or, an, or at least outline some content and then speak from the outline. So I was never reading a script, but just having a lot more structure. And most likely, I'm guessing my favorite podcast hosts do the same thing, you know, or even script their intros and things like that. And it never occurred to me before I was podcasting myself that that was happening because you don't see those things, right? That's very behind the scenes, especially with a podcast, right? You're not even like seeing the video where maybe there's some cuts that you see. The cuts in podcasts get hidden very, very easily. So so yeah, just be aware that I don't normally just speak on the fly. I normally have some notes that I am working from and that is a huge, I'll say confidence boost and it is, but it also makes me sound a lot more confident than I would be otherwise. Yeah, I love that you pointed that out. Like you said, it seems so conversational. It seems like it's effortless, but every good host I know comes in prepared. It doesn't have to be hours of prep. I mean, I know some hosts who will do hours of prep on either a topic or a guest, but even if it's sitting down for 15 minutes and just asking yourself, what is the main thing I want somebody to take out of this episode, I think makes a huge difference because if you don't go into it with a clear theme, imagine even the title of what the podcast episode could become. I think it'll be harder for listeners to follow you through the episode. So I love this tip. I mean, whether it's prepping questions or just kind of getting your thoughts out on paper, outlining it like you would a blog post, and just thinking about what is the title of this episode going to be, I think will help give a lot of clarity to each episode. Absolutely. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for everything you've shared with us today about, you know, these different kind of mindset things about whether or not to start a podcast and whether you are, whether you are gifted enough to start a podcast, because, you know, spoiler, you are, right? You don't need some special gifting, but also the strategies for how to grow your show. Um, to wrap this up, a couple last little things. One is you mentioned that one of the most common questions you get is what microphone do you use? So why don't we, why don't we just answer that question right now? What microphone? phone are you using today? Today I'm using the Shure MV7, which is not the Joe Rogan mic that is now infamous on the internet, but this was an upgrade. I was using the Blue Yeti for years. If it's okay, I have just a full blog post at wittenwire.com slash microphones. You can just see a whole write-up on all my favorites, different price points, and the accessories that go with them. 
Yeah, absolutely. We'll be sure to link that. And I don't normally mention this either, but I'm using the Rode Procaster mic. I like it pretty well. I don't know. I haven't tried a bunch of different mics though. So I'm sure Melissa knows a lot more about this than I do. So check out that blog post if you do need some help choosing a podcast mic. And then the last thing, Melissa, is just if people want to learn more about you and about how to start and grow their podcast, where is the best place on the internet for them to go to do that? I'm mostly on Instagram at Wit and Wire. And if anybody is interested in learning how to start a podcast, what the process looks like, and what some of the most common mistakes I see a lot of new hosts making, I do have a free masterclass called How to Launch a Podcast in 60 Days Without Feeling Overwhelmed. And you can sign up for free at witandwire.com slash earn more. Can I just say that I love how realistic you are about your time frame for that, how to launch a podcast in 60 days. I see so many of these like challenges and and sometimes webinars where it's like how to make six figures in six weeks or something like that, or, you know, five five $5,000 in one week. And I'm just like, really? Really? Yeah. <laughs> so I appreciate how realistic and down to earth you're being with that. And we will definitely include some links to those resources in the show notes as well. So Melissa, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for your time and for everything that you've shared with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Work Less, Earn More. Now, here's what I want you to do next. Take a screenshot of this episode you're listening to right now and share it out on your Instagram stories. And when you do, make sure you tag me at Gillian Z Perkins so I can see you're listening. Sharing on stories is going to help more people find this podcast so they too can learn how to build their business in a way that allows them to work less and earn more. And if you really love the show, head over to Apple Podcasts right now and leave Work Less, Earn More a review to give it a boost and help even more people find it. Okay, let's wrap this up. I'm Gillian Perkins, and until next week, stay focused and take action.